Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we're catching up with Cub member Stephen Unane. Stephen is the founder and CEO of Retail Prodigy Group, or RPG. Uh, RPG is the master franchise retail partner for brands like Nike, Samsung, and Tom's here in Australia. In just 10 years, Steve has built an empire with 56 stores and 700 staff. We had a brilliant conversation. Uh, We discussed the secrets of the retail industry, how to create and share uh, your brand and your brand culture. That was really the essence of this conversation. And he even told a story about meeting and presenting to Phil Knight, the Nike founder. It was a brilliant episode. Enjoy the show. All right, Stephen, you were just telling me that you've actually met Phil Knight from the, the Nike. Is he the CEO still? He's the, he was the co-founder no, of Nike. No, he was the CEO and chairman. Uh, retired, I think, about uh, three years ago now. But um, he's actually the the co-founder. Him and Bill Bauman founded the company um, back in the late 60s. Is that when so, Nike was founded? Yeah, well, yeah, Nike, the brand, was formed in 72 um, so in fact, the company was called Blue Ribbon Sports, believe it or not. No way. <laughs> yeah. Nike was called Blue Ribbon Sports. Yeah, yeah. And that's because that was the name of a beer that they were drinking when they were in a pub in uh, Oregon. When they thought of, when name. they decided to do the idea. Yeah, they thought, you know, we've got to think about a name for our company. So they, they saw the beer and they thought, okay, Blue Ribbon Sports. No. Yeah. So, and, um, and so, and so how did you meet Phil? Okay. So, uh, I got the opportunity to go and, uh, work for Nike in the U S so, um, I sort of headed up the retail business in the US, in North America. Uh, that was the Nike Towns, for example. And and I remember I was um, I was put on a project to open um, what was called Nike Goddess. And they're the, the Nike women's stores in the US. So we were, you know, wanting to launch this concept. And so I remember uh, as a project team, we had to, you know, present to the leadership team, like the exec team of Nike. And um, and Phil Knight showed up. And first of all, I was shit scared. I thought, oh, my God. Because, you know, this, he's a guy that I'm in awe of because, you know, you read about the amazing start to Nike and and everything he's been able to achieve. So, you know, he's in the meeting. And you're having to present. Having to present uh, to him and the exec team on this concept, Nike Goddess, I remember. And, um, again, I guess besides being very nervous, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't stop sort of just looking at him thinking, oh, my God, this guy is just – Amazing. And so anyway, long story short, he, um, he's a very quiet, a very unassuming sort of guy. Uh, I guess some could even say he's quite introvert. Um, and he didn't say anything, uh, in terms of like there were questions being fired at us and Phil Knight didn't say anything until towards the end. And I even forget, I'm, I feel bad. I forget the question that he asked, but it was probably the most strategic question and thoughtful question out of all the questions that were fired at us. And so he's clearly one of those guys that's very, um, we listens and, um, you know, just very strategic. Yeah. And, um, doesn't just, you know, talk for the sake of talking, you know, he's uh, just a very, uh, considered sort of guy. And, uh, and all I remember is that my God, uh, out of all the questions that was, you know, fired at me, I couldn't answer his question. It was like so good. Wow. And I thought, I'm not prepared for that question. And wow. so I think I had to say, look, uh, look, sorry, Phil, I'll, I'll come back to you. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's, um, look, amazing experiences, obviously, you know, working for Nike in the US and being on what they called campus, world campus, world headquarters. It is like a uni campus. Where is it? 
it's in uh, it's in Beaverton, Oregon. They've got a huge property out there with you know gyms and running tracks and um, supermarkets and restaurants and hairdressers. I mean, it was just an unbelievable place to to work. And uh, and the other great thing about it is that you got a chance to see all the athletes that Nike sponsor. You know, because well, they're always coming in for their yeah, Tiger Woods, uh, Michael Jordan. Jordan. I mean, you'd see them on campus walking around, and because they're always there testing product and trying product and. Um, but you know, as an employee, you weren't allowed to approach the athletes. You had to like allow them course, to have yeah. their own space, but, uh, yeah, you can't fanboy the athlete. No, athletes. You, can't, you can't go with it. Yeah. yeah MJ can some of them. <laughs> a selfie. Yeah. Um, but I, but I even met, uh, Michael Jordan as well at a, at a, an event, uh, as well. In, Obviously for Nike. Yeah. For Nike. Yeah. yeah as well. So, um, look, just extraordinary experiences. And I think for me personally, probably that was the sort of the pinnacle of my career, um, I think I was 34 at the time, I think, when I, when wow. I went to the US and ran the, ran the, the, the retail business there. And um, That's I'm, a big deal at a young age. Yeah, I never thought I was ready. I don't know why I got the opportunity, but <laughs> someone offered me that, um, yeah, that, that opportunity to go and, across And there. just tell me, um, before, because before, I, I want you to obviously share about, uh, share about your, your business, talk about yeah. your business, but when working in Nike – how does it work with the exec team? So they assigned you a concept set, go create this Nike goddess, this uh, yep. women's stores. Yep. And you had your team, you had to go actually create this concept, come back and I guess sh- share it with them to, to, to get their approval or, or their consent to, to begin? Or Yeah, look, I think the one, one thing about Nike is what I found is that they've got just amazing creative minds that work out of the, um, the world, world headquarters. And so – you know, they had this this sort of philosophy of, of cross-functional teams. So they wanted to ensure that any sort of strategic project had a, a good representation and cross-section of the organisation so that, you know, you had everyone like from the, you know, from the creative to the very sort of, you know, financial um, support within your project team so that really every base was being covered. Um, and that for me personally, again, being exposed and having experience to those sort of people was just extraordinary. Uh, in a a relatively early stage of my career. Yeah. Um, so and what did you learn from the culture there? Um, it's um, – What were cultural strengths of Nike? You know, it's it's really interesting. I reckon that's probably the question I get asked the most is that, you know, you know we've heard Nike's a bit like a cult, you know. And, um, look, it's probably not far from it. I mean, it's it's – I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that just is an extremely strong culture. Well, look, I mean, what I would say is that, um, you know, they, they talk about – the innovation is 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 in the DNA of Nike. Uh, that I felt that I felt that you're always challenged um, to look for new, better uh, ways of you know of doing things. You know, if it's you know if it's not broken, break it, start again. Like it's it's um, it's almost relentless in its pursuit for innovation and excellence. I mean, um, so you know, it only attra- it attracts a certain type of person. You know, that you you got to be prepared to operate in a high performance culture. Um, but it's also it's a very inspiring culture because it's all driven off sport and off athletes. And so you know if you've been around sport, I mean, there's so many great stories, great moments. And so you, there's you, you never there's no shortage of content or you know storytelling that goes on because yeah. it's just it's always connected to sport. Yeah, you know what I, I sport has something really spe- sports so important because it's able to unite a, a large body of people. You know, like it, the, all of America, for example, could can can rally for Michael Jordan in, in the Olympics or their country's uh, soccer team. Yes. Or it, it unites people. And and I always get a bit jealous of sport 
for entrepreneurs because the concept of it is so relatable and, and the concept of the sport itself is so understandable. I could be um, a, a poor kid living in the favelas of Brazil and understand that I have nothing now and I can get something and I can do that by playing soccer and I can watch my favourite soccer player play and I understand that he won that game, he passed good, he, he scored a goal. He, he, you, you can see it and you can understand it and it's not – there's no secrets. No. There's no it, – it's, it's, it's open. And so it becomes really easily – the sports stars are easy to idolize. Whereas with entrepreneurs, you don't know what they're doing. There is an element of grey in entrepreneurship, which is probably most of entrepreneurship yeah. is grey. Yeah. You know, and so you can't actually see – you know, very rarely would, for example, you be able to watch your favourite entrepreneur do their craft. Yeah. And, and have a full visual and understanding of what it is they're doing and, and what that, how that affects their, their other dealings because you'll never know. They can't tell you. It's, no. it's too grey. It's too hidden. And, and I think if we could somehow have a medium or media or something that could simplify business in an in a easily digestible and kind of entertaining way, that you'd have more people cheering and idolising Entrepreneur, you have more famous yeah. entrepreneurs yeah. essentially, and I, yeah. I just think sport, being in that environment in regards to sports, would just be so exciting. Oh, look, I, and I agree with you. I mean, I think um, business can learn a lot about uh, how to manage their business, like sporting clubs do. You know, I think there's, Agreed. you know, whether it's coaching, leadership, whether it's the athletes on the field and the KPIs they're working with. I mean, you know, in fact, you know, in the company that I lead, um, you know, we use a lot of the sporting analogies in how we run our our business. Mm. Um, yeah, even so, like uh, training. Like, it's spot on. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if you're in, if you're the best team, you train all the fucking time. That's right. You're training hard. Yeah. 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 So really, if you want a good team at work, you should have a lot of training. You're spot on. And the, and the beautiful thing about sport is that, is to your point, you see your team, you see your athletes performing. So why can't you bring some of that into the into the business into the business world? And you know, there's so many parallels. Great, great sort of. Um, you know, I th I find synergy with what we do in sport. Oh yeah. Oh, I completely. And well, tell tell me about Retail Prodigy, which is is your yep. company. Yep. Retail Prodigy, Prodigy Group. Group. That's yep. it. Yep. Um. So you're no longer working in Nike. Correct. You now work with Nike. Correct. So, yeah. You're spot on. So Daniel, like, so we're sort of. So think about us as like we're Nike's retail partner. So you know what we're finding particularly in Australia is that a lot of these global brands have a direct-to-consumer strategy, right? So they want to open stores and they want to have mono-branded flagship stores. But some of those global brands don't want to do it themselves. They want to do it through a third party because, you know, retail requires a fair amount of capital investment, long-term leases. Effort. You know, the effort, <laughs> yeah. the hiring Manpower, of staff. Exactly, yeah. right? So, so what these companies do, some of these companies do, they say, look, we want a direct-to-consumer channel. We want more physical stores on the ground but we don't want to do it ourselves. So we find partners to do that. And so we were just fortunate 10 years ago to sign uh, Nike as our first brand. Uh, in fact, really retail prodigy exists purely because of Nike. I mean, the opportunity uh, presented itself. And so that's how retail prodigy group was formed. Um, and then since then we've now brought on Samsung and Tom's uh, into the business as well. So we've got about 56 stores across Australia, New Zealand, about 700 employees, um, uh, but what's interesting is that our business is really predicated on bricks and mortar retail thriving and surviving. 
Mm-hmm. We're not an online business, right? So yeah, you are in fact the bricks and mortar Correct. part of these huge retailers. You're spot on. And most people think we're crazy. Like, are you serious that you're putting all of your eggs in the bricks and mortar basket? And uh, uh, and particularly during COVID, where you know we sort of felt you know what that's like when you're in a bricks and mortar business. But um, but I love it. I love bricks and mortar. I love retail. It's how I was brought up. It's 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 been what I've been doing my whole career. Yeah, and so. you know what I love about retail that I don't think that the online can ever get or have it's the experiential part of the brand you know like it's it's people feel something when they go i i personally never go shopping online but i'm the uh, odd one out you know like (laughs) i'm the same (laughs) i never do i don't find it enjoyable if i if i want to spend money i work hard for my money yeah i want to spend it i want to have fun while i do it exactly right i want to be there i want to see things i want to try money, and i definitely don't want to wait to receive it so i'm i'm fully pro the retail, but, but I mean, it is scary because, and I'd love to hear your opinion on, on the experiential side and how that yeah. plays a role in what you do, but, yeah. but it is also scary because you do hear a lot of stories kind of about, well, not stories, but perhaps potential strategies of big brands, um, at using retail stores as more of a marketing, uh, you know, a, a show yeah. of the brand, like, like LVMH, Louis Vuitton would always be on the most expensive yeah, corner. High streets. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and so it is a bit of a, a, a funny space to be. Look, look, you're right. And I think, um, you're spot on in terms of some of these brands actually use their flagship stores in these sort of, you know, high street locations, you know, whether it's in fifth Avenue in New York or it's in Pitt street, Sydney, um, for the purposes of just that in terms of showcasing the brand and they might be losing money, but they put it down as a marketing expense. So, you know, would they rather that or a billboard, you know? And so that's, that's not unusual. Um, it's just that I think what we're finding is that it's, it's that plus the other stores that generate the, you know, the profit and the cash flow mm. uh, to help fund the, well, the flagships. When you think about it like that as well. It, it makes a lot more sense. Like, but you just kind of clicked in my head. It's like, well, if I was Nike, like Nike has a store on the Champs Elysees in Paris, which right. I'm sure yes. would be one yes. of the most expensive. Yes, that's and right. It's massive, right? Um, if 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 I was Nike and I was thinking about, okay, well, I want to do some uh, some marketing. What's the best marketing I can do? Oh, I can spend a fortune on billboards and all this type of thing, which I'm sure they also do. But what would be better than a billboard? It would be an experience that customers can have. And so it is – so thinking about it like a marketing expense. That's exactly right. It, for those stores, is, is, is it makes it make sense. And I think what brands now figured out is that it's, it doesn't have to be an either or. So it can be a great marketing uh, tool, um, but it can also be experiential and commercial. Mm. So it's not an either or anymore. You know, I think that we figured out ways to make these – these brand flagship stores epitomize everything about the brand, create a great experience for the customer and be able to sell product and make, you know, and make a margin off it. So, um, and I think that's probably more the way the future going forward is I think brands have figured out there is a formula for that, for that to occur, which is probably why a lot of these brands, again, don't do it themselves because they don't see themselves as retailers. They see them as brand, you know, brand managers. They are brand, brand managers. Marketers. Yeah. I was yeah. just about to say that. And also, to, to, to hit that kind of trifecta of uh, commercial brand and experience, mm. it takes a specialist. Like it you does. need to specialize yeah. in doing nothing but delivering and mastering and understanding retail. Correct. It brings some more to retail. Spot on. And so therefore your value to these brands is exponential because they can't do that. They're too busy 
producing products and marketing products and managing their brand. Yeah. They need someone like yourself to do nothing but focus on the retail aspect. Well, and you're right. And I think that's, and that's the beauty of these partnerships is that there's a mutual respect for what each other brings to the table. You know, we love the fact that Nike and Samsung are at the forefront of product innovation and brand marketing, you know, um, and that's great because that's something we don't have to worry about. Um, we'll just worry about, you know, opening stores, building stores, hiring staff, training staff and creating experience, right? So the, the partnership is perfect because we both know what each other brings to the table and there's a respect there. There's a mutual respect, um, you know, in terms of how that partnership works. So, um, it's been awesome. You know, I think without Nike, we wouldn't have been able to sign Samsung. I think, you know, I think they, uh, they saw the work we, you know, we had done with the Nike brand and thought, okay, well, these guys could be a good partner for Samsung. And, and so, um, that's how that started. And so when you say you're the partner, are you the Australian, exclusive Australian retail partner? Yes. Is that look, what that means? Yeah. So we, we, we're the master franchise operator for Nike stores across Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. With Samsung, we're the retail operator for Australia only. Okay. So that's how it works. Oh, New Zealand doesn't really matter that one. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, it's a, it's a great market. In fact, um, I'd love to have Samsung in New Zealand at some stage, but uh, it's only early days for Samsung. We've only had that since November. So we're still trying to, you know, develop the model, the economic model, mm. so that we can look, look for scalability. Brilliant. And tell me, so... I mean, we've gotten into the company a bit mm. uh, and you said, I guess, okay, it was Nike that made this all possible, mm. which, yeah, I guess in a sense it is, but it was actually you that made it all possible because Nike entrusted you to take that contract and you had got at such a young age that you'd been uh, head of retail or whatever you said you were in the States for Nike. So you had mm. that relationship. You already had that trust. Tell me, I guess... Where did you start? How, what was your, what was your upbringing? What, what, did you grow up in Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, no, I grew up in Sydney. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Parramatta boy, a Parramatta Eels fan. Ah. I still support the Eels, by the way, yeah. and they're doing well this year. So, <laughs> um, no, so born and raised in Parramatta. Um, both, both my parents migrated from, you know, from Lebanon back in the fifties, yeah. late fifties. We share our, um, share our nationality. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm one of seven kids and, um, you know, I think being the second youngest, I can always remember looking up the chain at my brothers and sisters and just in awe of just how talented and, you know, all went to uni and I was smart and, you know, it's funny. And I never, ever thought that I could size up to my eldest brothers and sisters. I just thought they were just too smart. And, um, and so I suppose at a young age, I didn't quite really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was playing in bands and I was a DJ, so I knew I loved music and sound. And so, um, so not, not many people know this, but I, um, when I left school, I applied, um, uh, to do sound engineering at the film and television school in, um, in North Sydney. Yeah. And, uh, I know but I, but I, I, I wasn't good enough to get in and I thought, okay, well, geez, I, but there's no plan B. Um, so I thought, okay, now what? And I remember at the time I was working in retail, you know, I was, um, uh, there's a supermarket in Parramatta called Franklin's, uh, they don't exist anymore. And I was pushing trolleys and, you know, taking stuff to the parcel pickup area and, you know, and then I worked for BBC Hardware. How old were you at Franklin's? Gosh, I would have been 18. Oh, oh no, no, 17, because I was still at school at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, then I joined BBC Hardware um, and I did that full time because, again, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And look, and to be honest, I did feel like I was a bit of a, a letdown to my parents. You know, you, you know, when you've got brothers and sisters that have all, you know, gone to uni and, you know, accomplished, you sort of – you know, you, deep down you sort of feel like, oh gosh, you know, I think I've let down my parents. They've invested in my education. You know, you know, my dad worked his ass off, you know, 
um, you know, uh, mum stayed at home, took care of the kids. So it was all that sort of upbringing. So my dad just, you know, uh, always just wanted to give everything back to the kids, make sure we had a great education. And so, you know, you couldn't help but feel like you've let your parents down. You know, they never made me feel that way, but, you know, it was sort of one of those things in the back of your mind. But long story short, I, um, uh, when I was at, when I was working in retail, my manager at the time said, look, I think you're actually quite good at this. You know, um, you know, your KPIs are good. Um, we're getting good feedback from customers on your service. You know, have you ever thought about a retail career? I thought, oh, uh, no. I said, but I quite enjoy what I'm doing. I sort of like the satisfaction of putting a, a smile on a customer's face, you know, um, yeah, what, said, what did you like about retail? What was, oh, it? It was it? Was I mean, this might sound really odd, but I, so you know when you're a kid, you know when you're a kid and you play, you know, shops at home, and you know, yeah, um, you, you, you like you round up all the toys around the house, and your brothers and sisters like they're the customers. I was always the shopkeeper. Right? Yeah. So um, so maybe that's when it all started. I'm not sure, but no, you know what it was. I think it was the I liked selling. I liked um, the ability to make the customer feel happy about you know leaving with the purchase that they that they left with and. And then I found I was quite good at it and enjoyed it. And then when this opportunity came up uh, around, you know, uh, management development programs that retailers were running at the time, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this out. And in my long story short, I ended up uh, joining Grace Brothers, which is now Maya. Mm -hmm. And I joined their, um, what's called their management development program. It was a three-year program where you studied part-time and you worked on the job and you rotated through the company in stores and head office oh, wow. and did so all they sorts actually, of they, they kind yeah. of, uh, like a traineeship. Yeah, traineeship. Yeah, spot on. And, um, and I'm so thankful for that, you know, and, um, because that's what really set me off on this path of retail. And I love this industry. It's been dear to me. It's, um, uh, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm trying to do is to, um, provide those opportunities for young people in, in, in our company to see retail as a viable career because it doesn't have a great name retail in Australia. Yes, that's, that's true. Yeah. You don't, it's not, <laughs> it sounds bad to say, <laughs> no. but it's not an aspirational no. ambition. You're not, you're not, you know, no one, very few people are, uh, are thinking, mm, I want to get into being in retail. You know what I mean? But it's kind of, it should be because it's such a, I mean, you can scale very easily. Absolutely. Uh, not as easy as tech, but you know, there is systems of scale. It's a proven model. It's been around for centuries. Yeah. People know how it works. It gives you direct access to customers. Yeah. And it's fun. Look, look, it is. And, and there's not many, uh, I think, jobs where, say, a 22-year-old gets the key to a store that might do $3 million in revenue. They have to manage the stock, the staff, the customers. There's leadership. There's coaching. There's inventory management. There's cash handling. There's not many businesses where, you know, someone at that age – manages a business that size. I actually never thought about it. Like, yeah. Thought I mean, about it like it's that. unbelievable. And, and so in a lot of respects, these are general, young general managers that are learning how to manage a business and everything about a business. I mean, there's a and l they got to manage, right? And so I just think it's one of those industries that, um, needs to be promoted more and as a viable career path for young people. I, you know, it served me well and served many others that I know really well, yeah. but it just doesn't have a great profile. Especially like you're saying, especially at the start of their career, it gives them access to a tremendous amount of responsibility. It does. That there's no way. Imagine working at a bank and 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 you, as a junior, you wouldn't even have access to rub the whiteboard out. That's right. You're spot on. You know, and retail, <laughs> like you're saying, you have to walk in. You have to follow the procedure and, uh, you know, follow the steps to open up the shop correctly, yep. make sure the alarms and the cameras and everything's yep. on and working and the displays are right. you got to go check the till. you got to check the, I don't know, the P&L for the day. Yep. Measure things, have the staff rostered. 
you know, or, or be one of the staff in the roster, but still seeing how the roster's working. Yes, and, and, you know, like it's it's a tremendous amount of responsibility and experience for a young person. It really is. And, you know, that's as retailers, it's, you know, we have that responsibility to make sure these young people have the training and the support to be able to sort of follow those career paths. Um, and so what do you do? Look, so we, we, we offer various types of uh, programs uh, within our company. I mean, in fact, as we speak, we're working on a future leaders program that would sort of put, um, you know, say 12 people, 12 casuals through uh, a 12 month program where essentially at the other end of it, they'll be ready to become managers in our business. So, and it is targeted actually at casuals, young casuals that, you know, might be showing promise. They've got some passion, you know, they want a career, uh, in retail. And so we're going to, uh, you know, have a selection process where we'll, you know, we'll give those people, you know, the opportunity to be able to have a career in retail. So, wow. and so at the end of that, they, I mean, they're trained managers. You can then start putting them in management positions. Correct. But if they excel at that, really, they give you the ability to open more stores. No? Absolutely. Because then you've got the manpower to go and run that store. Yeah. Look, I would say retail generally, we have a shortage of, there's a, there's a labor shortage, there's a skills shortage. Um, Especially now with COVID and. and, and it's, it's crazy. No I mean, we, we've got some amazing in. jobs available at the moment. We can't get them filled. And, you know, it's, um, so, uh, I mean, one thing that, that I find in retail is that talent does stand out very clearly. If, if you're good at retail, you'll stand out amongst the rest and, and employers are looking for people like that to invest in and develop. Um, you know, again, and they're very lucrative. Retail's a very lucrative career. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, I think some of the, you know, top 50 rich people in Australia are retailers. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so oh, there's something also, about that. Also in Europe. <laughs> Absolutely. Also in the States. Yeah. yeah. Retail is, yeah. yeah. But it's but it's funny how that, as you said earlier, it's not aspirational. If you're a young kid, well, you're not thinking about, you know, retail. You're thinking mm. about, you know, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a, a dentist. I want to mm. be, you know. Whatever. They whatever. Of, it's yeah. not, oh, well, retail has got to be on my list. Yeah. It's you know. so, it's so funny. But do you know what? I think it's because perhaps people think about it incorrectly. Like when you think about retail, you think about just a shop. Spot but on. you don't think about, retail should be thought of as a medium of, of which connects customers and companies. Correct. You know, and brands. To brands. You, you know, and that's super cool because then you're creating like a world of this brand. They walk in and the way that the, the I don't know, what's that soap company? Um, the, the expensive one. Aesop. You know, oh, Aesop, yeah, yeah. yeah. You walk in. I've never actually walked into an Aesop store, so I'm going to guess this one. But I'm assuming you'd walk in and, you know, the, the staff would talk. Oh, no, you know where I have walked in? And they do it so brilliantly well. Um, Nespresso. Oh, yeah. You walk into an espresso they're store, you, they're exceptional. Yeah, yeah they're very at good. retail. Yeah, I would argue that they're one of probably the best retail experiences. Yeah, they're great. You can have like, but but my point is, you walk in and it's it's Nespresso world, you know, like it. The culture's Nespresso. It smells like Nespresso. The people speak to you like about Nespresso. It's 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 it's, it's not just a shop. It's the living brand experience. Yeah. And look, I mean, this is going to probably surprise you and it even surprised me after being 30 years in retail, but, uh, we Nespresso track, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so we track what's called fan mail. So fan mail is, is compliments, customer compliments. And these are customers that write in, call in to give you a compliment. Now, as you know, generally we're wired more to complain than we are to compliment as, uh -huh. as customers, right? So we have a 10 to one ratio of compliments to complaints or fan mail to complaints. Now I've never experienced that in my whole career, a 10 to one ratio. And when we analyze the feedback we're getting from our customers, 
you won't believe this, but the two things that they compliment us on is we cared for them and, and we provided them with knowledge. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you go shopping, isn't that your minimum expectation as a customer that you want to be cared for and you want a staff member that knows their shit? You know, mm. then they, they can tell yeah. you about the product and they can advise you correctly. And help you make the best decision for yourself, not, for, not for them, but, not the highest costing decision. But in this day and age, with everything going on around digital and omni-channel and all the you know, amazing stuff that's going on today, we get feedback that compliments us for caring for our customers and providing them with great product knowledge. Completely. Like, Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and also, but it's what's been taken. It, it That's the soul of brands that's been ripped out by the internet. Correct. Because they're not getting that. You go online, you don't know who's telling you what. No one cares if they tell you the truth because it's not an individual person. It's just some text on the screen. Yeah. You don't really know. You can't really trust someone. You've got to hope that you can trust very few brands. They're the huge brands that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on their brands. But, but when you walk into a shop and you see someone that's – Got a smile, they make you feel special. <laughs> exactly. You know, and and, and they're, 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 they're here to help. You feel you feel nice. And actually, funny story, in our uh, – so I'll do um, some of the, like, renewal meetings with with members. Yeah. And uh, not, not every year, but I'll try to do their first year renewal and then their third year. And – in their first year, they pretty much all I will ask, you know, what, what's some, what are your favorite things about the club? Blah, blah, blah. And almost all of them say, as the second thing, almost all of them say, I love your team. When I walk in, yep. even if I haven't been in the club for a long time, when I walk in, even if it's an event and there's lots of people there, they get up, they say hello to me. They make me feel like I, I made, they make me feel like I was there yesterday. Yeah. You know, they, and it's, and I always thought that's so weird. Like we're connecting these people to incredible business owners and, and, you know, they're getting value, like whether it be business or huge knowledge or, or even just building friendships that are impacting their lives yeah. in a positive way. But the second thing, and actually the first thing they said was always the people in the club, but but the second thing was the team. And I thought, how interesting that even with all that that can come out of the community, Same. they're saying, yeah, and mostly when I walk in. All right, so no, it's the front. I'm going to ask you a there. question now. Now, yeah. like now you're interviewing me. I'm going to ask yeah. you a question. So, so it must be something about the culture. You've got your vision for the culture of Cub that is enabling you to hire those people. Because I know Holly and Jordan, for example, you know, that I deal with and, and I would – say the same thing, mm. but it must be something about how you attract talent and you select the right people because you're right. If you can get that match right in terms of the culture that you want with the people, you know, it's like this thing about you hire on values alignment. Mm -hmm. That's what you hire against is that the company's got values, person's got values, the, the greater match you can get there. It's like a, it's like a marriage. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so, um, I mean, I imagine that's something that you work on as well is, you know, is, is understanding what this culture look like and how do you hire against that and sharing the culture with potential new team members. Yeah. But but actually I got just back with yourself. So when you're hiring for a for a retail store. Yeah. And let's say it's a Nike store. Do Nike provide you with kind of because I would imagine they would have everything done down to a T. So do they provide you with like here's the cultural code of conduct for, you know, team members and you should be sharing this with all the new team members and is that – do you use that to find the right people or how do you find those that are best yeah. suited to retail? And and you mentioned talent, 
talented people stand out in retail. Mm. What makes someone talented in retail? What's what are the traits? Okay, so I'll I'll focus on the first question yeah. first. So yeah, I don't know why it's I asked a bit you two of, questions. No, 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 that's okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, in terms of how we identify uh, the right you know talent to join Retail Prodigy Group, uh, look, it is a bit of a collaboration between Nike and us. Not in terms of the interview process; we do that all of our, ourselves, but. There's a framework that Nike have, which is, you know, that they need to have a passion for the brand, a passion for sport and a passion for customers. So it's the intersection of those three bubbles, I guess, if you, you know, had those three bubbles. So you've got to have a passion for the brand, you've got to have a passion for sport and you've got to have a passion for customers. Um, so that's sort of the starting point. So that's what we look for when we're, when we're hiring people. And look, and when I say passion for sport, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be an elite athlete. You don't have to, you know, play sport but you've got to have an appreciation for health and fitness and well-being. I mean, mm. you've got to be at least in that headspace. Yeah. You know, that's got to be important to you in your life. But we we layer in a number of values that we have as a business. It's it's care, coach, accountability, innovation. Um, uh, and we use those values as a way to help, um, you know, then select from that first sort of, I mm-hmm. guess, you know, um, shortlist of candidates, yeah. you know, as we screen them. So... Look, as anyone would tell you, it's not a perfect science recruitment. I mean, it's um, no, it's the hardest thing anyone. Can it's do. hard. It's yeah. hard. You know, it's a bit like you know a first date. You know, you hmm. sort of, you know, you're trying to establish you know a rapport and understanding. You're sort of you know um, you're trying to learn as much as you can about that that person because you're going to you know form a relationship with them. Yeah, and you want that to work. It is a relationship, it and is. you almost kind of. I mean, what's the line in? terms of asking people about their personal lives as well you know is that you I, I mean you're sure there's a lot of laws around doing that but yeah. but like you know you kind of do want to know absolutely you know, where do you come from what absolutely. do you value what's your you know you has your family what's yeah. your thing are you who are your friends like but because it is on. a relationship and yes. i really like nike's three passion yeah i guess triangle i, I was thinking while you're saying i was like what would cubs be you know every business could t- you know when hiring you could say these are the th- three passions you need yeah. or that you're expected to have yeah. or that you should have in yeah. this business. And, and that's right. And there's got to be some, some element of all three. Yeah. You know, if one's missing, then you're compromising almost. Yeah. 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 So then your next question about, well, what makes talent stand out in our, in our business? We look, you know, whilst we're a customer centric organization, we're also a performance organization. So we operate in a way that every single person that works in our stores, you know, if you're a casual, it's doing four hours or if you're the store manager, it's, that's doing 38, when you rock up to work each day, you've got a target. Um, now that's not typical in every retail business. Some, some, you know, some retailers have targets, you know, down to the individual level. Some don't. We just believe that, you know, if you're given a goal, you're given a target, you've got a greater chance of, uh, achieving that goal. So you just know what's expected of you. Um, so those that shy away from that, don't work well at RPG, those that see that as, oh, that motivates me. If I know when I come to work each day that I've got to achieve this sort of sales target, that drives me. So that's important. And so we can monitor and measure that every single person in, in, in our business. Yeah, which is really interesting because because that itself, even saying that to someone in the interview process yes. itself would filter out a lot it of does. people who don't want to really work that hard. You spot on. You know, or who shy away from kind of individual targets or goals. Look, you're spot on because the reality is, is that, you know, you know, like there is a labor shortage, right? So if I'm a candidate applying for a job with RPG versus, you know, the retailer next door, I could get the same hourly rate. 
um, at the guy next door and all I'm doing is going to be folding product and merchandising product. I'm not going to have to serve customers. I'm not going to have to, you know, hit sales targets, right? So you know, it doesn't make one right or wrong. It's just that's our culture. You know, mm. We want people that are motivated to achieving goals and targets. And let me ask you what I'm sure is probably a difficult question is how do you balance the combination of being both customer-centric and target orientated because how do you then get your uh, floor, your sales staff or yeah. what would you call them, floor staff? Yeah, oh, what would, don't we call them athletes. Athletes. Yeah. How, <laughs> how would you get your athletes to act in the best interest of the customer as opposed to trying to make the highest sale? Yeah, it's a, look, that's, that's a key – that's a really good question. It's a difficult one. And, and we don't yeah. always get that right. We, we make sure everybody understands that first and foremost, um, it's the ultimate customer experience that, we, that we're striving for and that we help them understand that if you provide uh, suggestions and advice to your customer, that is providing the ultimate customer experience. So, you know, young kids sometimes think that if I offer another item to a customer, that's a hard sell. Whereas our philosophy is, well, hang on, no, your, your role is to understand the needs of the customer and if they're a runner, for example, well, you're going to run at the at night or in the morning or, you know, uh, in the wet weather, dry. So you're going to need yeah. this, you're going to need that. So you offer suggestions to the yeah. customer. Do you have any ankle problems from Fine. running long distance? Correct. Yeah, I do. Look, we've got these great wraps. Correct. You know, so what we say is that, you know, you know, you just offer suggestions, multiple options to the customer and they'll say no. Um, so now we know that if they do that, they'll easily hit their sales targets, mm. right? So it's, but you've got to start. Uh, with helping them understand the intent here is providing the ultimate customer experience. The KPIs we put in place are just to enable them to get there. It's sort of a, a path towards that. Yeah, but what, what I took from that too is that the path for success for both parties, uh, being the athlete uh, or, or retail uh, staff and the uh, customer, the, the path to success is actually the same. It's mutually beneficial Absolutely. because if the uh, athlete provides the best possible information, knowledge and assistance and guidance to the customer, the customer is going to buy more things because that, You're the, the uh, athlete's going to suggest things that are going to be best suited to them. So really in, in that transaction, if the customer spends more, it's because, well, the athlete did a good job in explaining that these products can help whatever they yeah. mention their current needs are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, and then the other way we alleviate the, the, that sort of, you know, what's more important is then we have a team incentive. So, it's not about individual sales in terms of commission. It's about if the team achieves, then everybody achieves. That makes sense. So if the store makes its target, then everybody, all the athletes and everybody uh, gets to earn, you know, a bonus, yeah. an incentive, you know, yeah. so. Which so also stops people from trying to spot run to the people as soon as they walk in. Correct. Because that, you know, that's also a challenge. If you've yeah. got a real gun salesperson. Yeah, I'd then, go stand in the front. I'd stand <laughs> right in the front. I'd, I'd, I'd be the doorman too. I'd let them in. How are you, sir? Can I get yeah. you a, a water? And, and. So just back to the talent aspect, if, if someone's listening today, let's say they're a, uh, they're a young person or whoever they are, really anyone who's thinking about starting a business, getting into business, um, what are the personal attributes or talents that you would say would make you suitable to getting into a retail, um, a retail uh, career or entrepreneurial journey? Because if you like, it really retail actually has a lack of, like you're saying, talent mm. at the moment. It does. Which means, and a lot of people moving away from it, but it can never disappear. No. Because brands need presence and they need experiences. 
And so it's probably a good place to to get entrepreneurial in. It is. Do you know? It what really mean? is. Look, I I think it's um it's first of all, I think understanding that retail has first of all many facets to it. It's not you know just about the shop floor. Now, unfortunately, that's what people think about it because they just see the store and they think, oh, well, that's retail. What they fail to see is that what what's behind that is you know finance, HR, marketing, um, you know, IT, um, you know, uh, digital. Like it's it. You know, you're talking about a, a, a multifunctional operation that sits behind all that and supports the front front line so if I'm someone that but wants to get into retail my advice will always be start on the shop floor I think if if you can understand what it means to serve customers and connect with customers and work uh, you know with your teammates on the shop floor you're going to be in 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 a great position to then be able to specialize in a certain area you know maybe in finance or maybe in marketing or buying or planning you know um, and, but, but I just find the best retailers have, have spent some time on the shop floor. And wh- when did you move to Melbourne from Sydney? Okay. So I first moved to Melbourne back in, gosh, um, I'm going to say 1990 mm-hmm. and then with Maya, right? So I, I was with Maya for 12 years, believe it or not. Um, wow. I had a chance to work in stores and head office and buying and did different things. When I was in Melbourne, I was then offered the opportunity to go and join Nike and, uh, and I, uh, and my project was to open the first Nike town outside of North America in Melbourne, um, on the corner of Burke and Swanson Street. What's a Nike town? Uh, so Nike town is a flagship Nike okay. store. That's yeah. what they used to be called. They're not called Nike towns anymore. Really? Yeah. So, uh, and then, and then after doing that, then that's when I was offered the opportunity to go and work in the U S with Nike, came back, uh, with Nike as well, uh, in Australia. And so had about seven years overall, left Melbourne, Nike, went to Sydney, joined Luxottica and ran, uh, Sunglass Hut. And then uh, moved to Melbourne, and then uh, uh, CEO of Jeans West for about four to five years. So you you are just versed in retail. You you you've been in this game. You you've been at the helm a lot of a lot of retail ships. But what was the point that you decided, and why did you decide? Okay, I'm going to do my own thing now. Yeah, it's you know. Well, first of all, the I think the seed was planted when I came back from the US to Nike Australia, even back then I was contemplating, uh, you know, being Nike's, you know, or open some Nike stores. Because when I came back, I thought, okay, well, I've been here. I'm going to come back to Australia now. What do I do? And how did you know they needed that? Oh, because I was uh, very, very much across the whole direct-to-consumer global strategy for Nike. So I sort of knew that's what, you know, was part of the plan, the future plan. So um, I even contemplated it when I came back to um, Australia, but... To be honest, I didn't think I had the uh, the capacity from a capital perspective to do that. So I quickly moved on from that idea. Um, and then, then believe it or not, I looked at it again the second time when I was at Jeans West, believe it or not. Again, not, not, not many people know this story, but we were thinking about even doing this under the Jeans West banner. He's opening Nike stores under, you know, uh, under Jeans West Operation Corporation. Um, How can that work? <laughs> oh, well, because we were just a retailer. So we would have opened Nike stores. Okay. You know, oh, uh, so like the, like the, the Jeans com- West company would just do the, do what you do now. Exactly right. Just okay. under Jeans West versus yep. RPG. Um, and that fell over. So then uh, I guess you call it a third time lucky. Um, and this is a really bizarre story because I was having, um, I was having dinner uh, in Sydney, I, my, my 
previous boss at Nike US who offered me the opportunity to go to the US. His name was Charlie. Um, we'd both left Nike and he was in Sydney. Um, and look, he said, I'm in Sydney. Do you want to go out for dinner? And, uh, yeah, I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, always good to catch up. Um, yeah, we were just talking about what's going on. We always, and Nike always comes up as a topic because obviously we both worked at Nike and I was sort of saying to him, look, you know, um, look, I think Nike still hasn't found a partner, you know, in retail, um, you know, to open up stores. And, and he said, well, he looked at me and said, well, well, why don't we do it? And, um, and I said, well, I'm not sure I can do that. I said, you know, I've got two kids, you know, at school, just got a mortgage, new house. Like I'm, you know, I, I don't think I can take that plunge, you know. And was he still working at Nike? No, he'd left as well. His name was so, Charlie? Charlie, yeah. yeah. We, we both left. He's, he's, he's American. And um, so um, I think um, what it was was the, you know, again, the, the seed being planted that maybe this is meant to be because it was – I looked at it two times before and I thought, okay, there's something about this meeting that I'm having with Charlie. It's, it was serendipitous really because I was actually based in Melbourne. He's based in the US. He's in Sydney saying, you want to grab some dinner? I just happened to be in Sydney with Jeans West. And um, so we grabbed dinner and we talked about this thing. And afterwards I thought, gosh, this is, this is meant to be. And I remember going home and talking to my wife about it. And I said, look, hey, what do you think? I said, look, I said, actually, I don't think I should do this. I, I think there's too much at risk here. And and Deb said to me, I remember she said to me, Steve, I know you well enough that if you don't do this, you're going to always regret it. And I said, but Deb, you realise that we could, if this doesn't work, we could lose our house. And she goes, well, it's a house. We can sell it. We can get a smaller house. You know, she said, I know you well enough to know that if you don't do this, you will always be wondering what if. Um, so there's, I think, again, uh, thanks to Charlie, thanks to Deb, um, I think I think also – I. I felt like I had this fire burning in my belly about at some stage going off and doing my own thing. And I think the, the, the fortunate position that I was in is that to your earlier point, I was fortunate to have a great upbringing with some great retailers, great brands. Um, so I learned a lot. I had a lot of experience. What I didn't know how to do is start a business, like how to raise capital and all that sort of stuff. Right. So that was a whole new learning curve for me. Um, yeah, and, you were uh, used to running big companies. <laughs> yes. But you hadn't started no. one from small. <laughs> Spot on. And, you know, that was daunting. I had no experience in it. Now, fortunately, Charlie did. He had some you know, background in investment banking and, you know, private equity. So he had some experience in that area. But he was from the US, so he didn't have a local experience. So um, so in a lot of respects, it was like born, being born again. Like I, I, I just felt like, gosh, I'm going to almost need to start from scratch again at this stage in my life and my career but that was invigorating. It was sort of exciting to think that I'm going to be on a steep learning curve again because, you know, you you do find when you're doing things for a long time, you do get a bit stale. You know, bored. You're, yeah, you're bored. Yeah. yeah. I'm just on. good at this. Yeah, I, exactly. I no, yeah. I'm not learning. Yeah. So it's been a huge learning curve for me over, over, the, over the 10 years. Isn't that funny how someone that can be the CEO and heads, head of, and executive heads of, of these large organizations can get intimidated by the thought of having to start a small and run a small <laughs> organization themselves. Isn't that a, a well, weird, it's a weird concept. Well, look, I mean, it's I, like going I, from, sorry, it's like going yeah. from, uh, uh, executive style business to entrepreneurial style business. Well, uh, and you know what it, it got me to realize, and I was, you know, I was a bit sort of blindsided by this, but when you're doing things yourself, like I was doing payroll, for example, I was hiring staff, um, training them. I was doing the payroll, you know, you then realize how much work goes 
on in the background of your business when you're the CEO that sometimes you just take for granted. So it's very humbling. It very um, it really does ground you when you realize, gosh, okay, there's a lot to running a business, and all these people out there that are doing their thing keeps the business, you know, like the engine. Yeah. Uh, running and all so, of a sudden you have to worry about everything <laughs> everything, everything. <laughs> i had a few sleepless nights as you can imagine yeah. in the early years because um, you know it took us a while to make some money you know. and so how long how long would you say it took for you to feel so at what age so it, the company's been 10 years 10 now. years yeah at what year did you feel confident that okay I d- it was a good decision like we you know i'm not saying making heaps of money i'm just saying Okay, like we've made it. We're, we're doing well. Yep. It's stable. I have a good grip. It's a real business now. Yeah, I would say probably that three-year mark. Yeah. 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 I, To be honest, the first year uh, I thought, oh, what have I done? Because, um, you know, again, like, you know, you, like you run these big companies and you, like you know conceptually the concept of cash flow and everyone used to say to me, oh, cash flow is king, cash flow is king. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good at P&L. I, I didn't know much about cash flow. I had to learn about cash flow very quickly. <laughs> Especially and I, in retail. Absolutely. And I realized, my gosh, now I see why cash flow is so important. Um, so, yeah, that that first year I can't honestly say to you that I thought, yeah, this is great, a great move. I thought, okay, maybe this was not the right thing. And, you know, so – but, you know, um, a bit of persistence, you know, um, and um, I guess also self-belief. I think you have to back yourself sometimes and just think – um, no, now's not the time to pull up stumps. So, you know, just keep, keep at it, back yourself. You've, you know, you've got experience in running the business. You just got to get past this sort of threshold. And, uh, and I'd say that probably for me was probably that sort of three year mark is when I thought, okay, I've got it. We know the model. Now we're going to start rolling out more stores. Mm-hmm. And, and how long do you think it took for you to obtain a kind of a core team? Like a, a, a quite an effective team. Yeah. Um, well, look, fortunately, you know, I, look, I think the one thing I would say that I'm blessed with is that I've surrounded myself with just some extraordinary people. One guy that I hired, his name's Andrew. I, I've had him with me since day one. My uh, first first employee. Wow. He's been with us every every day since, and he's now the COO of the company, uh, and he's my successor. I mean, he's definitely ready uh, to take on my role, and I've. And I love that, that, you know, that I can at some point in time afford him an opportunity to, to take on the role and, and run the company. Um, so, um, but I would say that in the early years, you know, as you probably know, when you start your own business, you, you end up doing a lot of stuff yourself. You just try and keep your business lean because you're, you're mindful of the, you know, expenses of the, your business. You so go broke. <laughs> exactly. But then, but then you reach a, a sort of a tipping point where you realise that if I don't start hiring people – I'm not going to capitalize on the opportunities and then you end up lagging. So and I'm going to have to keep doing everything myself. You're spot on. I'm even more scared of than <laughs> you're right. And, and then it actually limits, limits your growth. So yeah. it's a bit of a, a leap of faith to invest in people when you feel like you don't have the sort of scale, but it's those people that actually get you the scale, yeah. you know, but it's knowing when to bring those people on board. But I, I would say that probably at the, again, probably that three, uh, maybe four year mark is probably when I felt like, we had a structure in place and, and, and people in place to, um, you know, to lead the business. And look, I'm fortunate that we've got a lot of long-term, you know, members of, 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 the, of the leadership team, but also the business. Well, I've got store managers, but they've been with me for eight years, you know, which yeah. is unheard of in retail. So Yeah, yeah, um, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And, yeah, I always found, I said once throughout my career with Cub, the, like, blessings that have come, all the good things that have happened – 
have come in the form of a team member of like a, a new staff mm. and and like I would think of all the good things that Cub has done has come because someone has found their way to Cub. You know, it wasn't really me that did anything. I mean, members are amazing, don't get me wrong, but but what gave the members, what created the members and the culture and the community and services were just individual team members that at some point found their way to Cub and mm. brought and contributed in some way that had a huge impact and they're kind of like angels, you know what I mean, mm. the team. So yeah, I, I just think it's really it's cool to think about it in that look, sense. Look, it is, and, and I found quite interestingly quite early on is that we were attracting people that I would say were almost overqualified to join us. Um, I've done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and I, I thought, wow, but there's something appealing about what we have here, which is maybe about creating and shaping something. Um, I guess maybe when you get to a certain stage and an age in your career that you're looking for different things, you know, maybe money's not as important anymore. It's more about the challenge and the opportunities that of being able to contribute to something, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, I, I was, again, I just felt, uh, you know, privileged to have people just want to come and join us. I've also had the opposite though. So I've also had, and it might be because Cub's kind of a random business is, is not much comparable, but I've also had people come that have had no real similarity or transferable experience to, to what they need at right. Cub. And they turn out to be culturally, they're probably bang on the money. Though. Yeah. Yeah. And they turn out to just completely become icons within the team, like really yeah. pillars of the team because yeah. they, they basically are Cub. They, 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 be, they learn everything about it. They, you know, these are people that, uh, like they haven't been in one industry or one style of thing for, for too long. Mm. And they're, they're probably a bit younger, whatever it may be. But a lot of Cubs pillars of the team have been people that are probably inexperienced or have not much experience to do with anything to do with Cub. Come in and they become the brand. They become mm. the company because it becomes what they know. It becomes what they specialize in. The, the Cub becomes their yes. identity and their career. Yes. And, and – even though they didn't have any transferable experience, perhaps, um, which means the learning time sometimes can be longer, because they were culturally on the money, they they become I indispensable. Well, and it's uh, that's a really key point. I, you know, I think it's always important in business that once you've got your values uh, set, that you want to hire beacons of your values, people that demonstrate those values, mm. you know, because. There's one thing about having them on a, on a wall, on a page of, you know, these are our values. But if you've got people that you can bring in as beacons for your values, and it doesn't have to be all of them, but, and you have enough of those people, they're who shape your culture because they're living the values of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, not because anything that you've done, just because you've hired people that just connect, you know, mm. they're passionate about what you're doing. And when you started, how did you get the contract with Nike? So how did how did you get rolling? What was your first store, for example? Oh, gosh, our first store is Melbourne Central, just here in Melbourne. And believe it or not, that store comes up for 10 years in August of this year. It was our first Still store we there, opened. Still there, same location. Same lo Although we've now um, – we've done a remodel. It's got – it's two levels now instead of one. It's a flagship store. It's the only store that's got what's called Nike by you, which is a custom personalizing Shoes. area. Yeah. yeah, you get stuff personalized and uh, – very proud of that store being our very first store. But mind you, that store, um, it took a while for it to, you know, to generate some positive cash flow because it was, you know, it was a new development. It was at the top end of town, you know, 
Um, and we were sort of out there as a bit of a, an anchor. Um, so, um, but the contract that look itself was, um, it all started through just relationships. You know, I think I'm very much about, you know, uh, understanding the importance of relationships and, and probably one of the reasons why I joined Cub is because I want to extend my relationships and my networks. And, um, it's because of, because of those relationships that, um, enabled me to, I suppose, um, maybe have a head start or a, uh, an advantage in terms of, you know, uh, getting this deal done. Uh, cause I know other people were looking at the opportunity as well. I mean, we weren't the only, only company that were pitching, uh, to do this with Nike. And I think that relationship, uh, or those relationships that I've ha- I had earlier, I think probably helped us get to, to, I guess, get it off the ground. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm one to support the power of relationships. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it, 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 I mean, I say that as a joke, but it's just always it's, true. It's and I can't tell true. you how many members come on the podcast and say the same thing about, uh, yeah, how did you do this or what happened? Oh, you know, my friend or someone I met or I did. Yeah. yeah. It's just who you surround yourself yeah. with. Whoever you surround yourself with are going to deliver the opportunities that you find so long as you take them. Yes. You know, you surround yourselves with uh, criminals and crooks, you're going to have some criminal opportunities. You surround yeah. yourselves with a yeah. bunch of business people, you have business opportunities. You know? So I just think having that network is, I mean, I don't want to talk. Oh, no, look, I mean, I can, more about I mean, I can honestly tell you that the only reason why I'm sitting here today is because of the relationships that I've had over the many years that I've been doing what I'm doing, people that have helped shape who I am today. And to your point, it's allowing people to, um, to step in, mm. like, allowing people like I think you have to sort of accept that you're not perfect right and you don't know everything and you, you that's that's the first step it's having some great self-awareness and being open-minded absolutely yeah. and um what can I learn from this person? absolutely and you know I think I'm just fortunate that I, there was people that I've been around through my career that have sort of um I guess sourced some potential in me and have invested in me um not because I've asked for it but probably just because they saw it and mm. You know, and again, I feel like that's what I want to do uh, for you know people within RPG uh, is is you know is is provide that mentorship and that that, that support. A founding principle of Cub is that business is a force for good. It's it, entrepreneurs can impact like you can impact the world in a positive mm. way. Mm. Oh, I love hearing about ways different entrepreneurs and business owners do that. Like what you're saying now is you know we're, we're our business is educating future. Uh, people and young people, whether it to be business owners or whatever it is, but yeah. we're, we're upskilling them. We're, yes. we're enhancing their lives. We're giving them opportunity, which is going to make them better citizens of this country. Yes. They make them more happy, more fulfilled. They're going to feel more accomplished. You know, they're going to be more capable at life. Yes. You know, your business is doing that. That's, and it's in our name. I mean, Prodigy. Mm. That's why we called yeah. it Retail Prodigy Group is that we wanted to develop future retail prodigies. I mean, that's, you know, so that's that yeah. that vision was there ten years ago. Yeah, see, that's incredible. I love that. And just before we wrap up, because we're going to have to soon, I wanted to understand how what's your process in understanding the brands you represent? Because I mean, we've been talking about Nike uh, almost exclusively in this episode, but I mean, Samsung, mm. Tom's. Uh, I mean, you, you've you, you was it Jeans West? You? Uh, oh no, that was that's a role I had beforehand. Yeah, but you, but you but were working. Yes, you were yes, CEO of Jeans yes, West. I mean, yeah. So you, you you obviously have to have a process in kind of indulging in a brand mm. and understanding it. Yeah. And I mean, using, we can use Samsung and Nike as examples. How do you, cause you're creating the store for Samsung, just like you are for Nike, but it's completely different brand, mm. a completely different product and company. For me, it's very hard to kind of understand how I would do that for another brand. Cause I only know carbon. That's just, that's the brand. You know, what's your process in 
really in, uh, it's not indulging but kind of um, diving into a brand and, and, and getting that having that understanding for it. Yeah, look, I think well, I think first and foremost, it, it does come back to, again to the values that we have for the organisation. That becomes a bit like the criteria by which we select brands to come in, into RPG. So, and one of those things is innovation. So, we love brands that are innovative. Um, it was a bit easy with Nike because I worked for Nike, so I was already immersed in the brand. I mean, I, like I knew it inside and out, so that wasn't hard. Samsung was a bit harder, right? Because it's not just a different brand; it's a different industry. So, you know, it's not sport, that's, you know, consumer electronics, but, you know, to their credit, you know, they put us through boot camp, and boot camp is almost a fast track way of being immersed in that brand. So you learn about the history and heritage of the company and its journey and where it got to from where it was wow. to today. And, and so everybody in our, in our leadership team that worked on the brand went through that you know, the boot camp and it's eight weeks. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, it's a serious, it's like, oh, it's like serious. getting a degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a serious was, immersion in the brand. I was actually going to ask you what's something, I mean, a boot camp concept, a really good one, but what's something that someone like myself or, or the other members and listeners listening could take from uh, one of the big brands that you work with in terms of a way for them to share their brand and to share their culture and values to whether it be um, clients, uh, staff, potential team members, um, you know, what a, what's something one of the brands do that's, that's, that we could do? Yeah. Well, to, um, so you talked about experiences earlier. I, I think that, you know, probably no brand does it better than Nike in terms of experiences. And so I think because Nike's all, it, it's grounded in sports, uh, health and fitness is that, um, you know, e experiencing, uh, and being immersed in an activity where the, the brand is um, at the forefront. So an uh, example would be, um, you know, Nike in the past have, have, um, have had sort of fun runs, you know, um, uh, where you get a chance to participate in something like that and you it's not just about the run itself. You get, you get the exposure to the brand and you go through high energy, um, you know, uh, brand moments. So I think that it's about relating to the product that you have and the category that you, you, uh, represent and, and your brand partner in this, where we come in, we get a chance to experience that, uh, whether it is, again, it's in sport, um, or, or with Samsung, if it's about, you know, really understanding, uh, you know, the white glove service and understanding, you know, all the features and benefits of the product and being wowed with how, you know, how the product, you know, can, can work for you. So it's kind of, so it's what you're saying. It's kind of like selling the product and the selling the company to that person you, you kind of you want them to experience it so they know how good it is and you want them to understand why it's like this because you know we, we do it like this because it's best for the customer and it, it's kind You're of like on. it's really just selling the company and the brand as a whole i mean correct because ultimately you know and allowing them to experience that's obviously yeah. the ultimate way well and if you shop in any of our stores let's say it's nike or samsung you probably didn't realize that rpg is behind those stores no you no way i had no idea right so that means I've that shopped in your stores many a time. Okay, that's no good. Um, so what that means then is that as brand ambassadors, we're being able to bring to life that brand to the customer without you even knowing it's another party doing that. That means the brand has done a great job with onboarding us into those brands. Yes. I think that's the ultimate test here. And that you're exceptional at understanding brands. Yeah, yeah. And um, just before we wrap up, What's the most important lesson, I guess, that you've learned? Look, I mean, that's not a hard question for me to answer. I think I would categorically say that for me, culture matters most out of, 
I, I think in the absence of strategy, absence of a game plan, culture kicks in. It's like culture's always your safety net. That's the thing that just in, it's instinctive. If you've got a company and people that are bought into your culture, you don't need to give them a playbook. They just know. And I think I feel that at RPG. I feel, and I, I see it when it happens. It's almost like, you know, I'm up in the stadiums watching my team play. I can see when something comes at them unexpectedly and it's just, you know, it's intuition, it's instinct. It's all about the culture. That's mm-hmm. what I would say. I just say culture matters most. It's the essence of the company. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I fully agree. Um, Steve, thank you so much. That was a, an incredible, incredible conversation. Well, I, I could keep talking to you for, for a long time. I actually think um, your understanding of, of, like, I've never thought about retail like this. <laughs> we haven't. And, and also learning about, um, you know, how these brands, how, they, they, how they actually manage a brand. That's what they, their job is yes. to manage a brand and to, to I guess, educate um, third parties and other partners like, like yourself in adopting that brand and, and, you know, the lessons that you can take for how they do that mm. are, are probably just so important for, for, uh, for entrepreneurs like, like myself and, and you and the listeners to, to kind of take into consideration. You know, how are you communicating your brand and selling your your company and brand, mm. not just to customers, but to, to potential team, team and, and, and partners. Like spot on. Just such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. Thank you for being a member. The club is certainly a stronger community uh, uh, having you in it. Oh, thank you. Um, both, both in business and in culture. So it's very appreciated. And uh, to the listeners, if you want to find out more uh, about uh, Stephen, we did not go into his quotes and books and recommendations <laughs> because we don't have time, but go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find all the information you need. Uh, Stephen, thank you once again. Thanks, Daniel. Guys, hope you enjoyed the show. Cheers.